Welcome, welcome to Sports Law Matters. I'm your host, Sigi, and today we have a very special guest, uh, Ashot Kiorgian. He's an Armenian sports lawyer and has been for the past eight years. He has worked with uh, some of the biggest clubs in Armenia. Now he uh, his domicile is in uh, Spain, where he works uh, for his law firm, which is based in Armenia, I think. Uh, he was a uh, student with me at ISDE, Madrid, for the Sports Law Masters. He has, uh, for example, also worked with Juan de Dios Crespo, a renowned uh, sports lawyer in the sports world. Today we'll talk about uh, many things, We n nothing that specific, maybe the agents' regulations. And uh, yeah, just I hope you enjoy the uh, show. Here you go. Welcome, Ashot Kiorgian. I hope I pronounced your last name right. Uh, did I do so? Uh, more or less correct. Thank so you. it's uh, more than acceptable. Thank you. <laughs> six six months of training in Madrid. So yes. uh, a little, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, I, I said in the intro that you have been a sports lawyer for the past eight years or so, that you have worked for some of the biggest clubs in Armenia, and you are now domiciled in Spain, where you work for your firm, and you have worked previously with uh, Juan de Dios Crespo. Can you tell us? Yes, I... I've been working for football, one of the biggest football clubs in Armenia for quite long, let's say, and uh, serving as head of legal, after which uh, I established my own law office and started to act independently, as you mentioned, uh, collaborating with uh, one of the best lawyers, sports lawyers, which uh, in turn granted me let's say, significant experience in total in terms of litigation, cost proceedings, and uh, so on. So in regards uh, to club uh, experience, I would like to emphasize that working in a football club may grant you, I would say, experience from about the industry from nearly every angle possible, commercials, broadcasting, player transfers, even security uh, organizing of the matches, you know? Uh, I mean, uh, working at a football club grants you, let's say, an experience which I do not think you will be able to achieve elsewhere, in short. Yeah, with uh, if you work with the clubs, yeah, correct. So... Yeah, but, but, in, but especially if you are uh, let's say if you are in charge of uh, nearly dealing with every affairs of football club. For example, there are many clubs which have bigger legal departments, let's say, and uh, work is being uh, divided into, let's say, some of the councils is dealing with only domestic affairs, domestic disputes with, with for example, other employees of the club, which do not have any relations to sports disputes. For example, let's say, uh, a, a dispute between a groundskeeper and uh, and a club will obviously be settled by the national court. So in many clubs, for example, which have quite big legal department, they divide this job into sections. For example, one is dealing with national disputes. The other one is dealing with 
international disputes. You already know what I'm talking about, FIFA Football Tribunal, CAS. The other one is doing, for example, commercial broadcast and other contractual stuff. The other one is dealing with TMS. So it depends. The other one is doing club licensing. But if uh, you are, let's say, if your team is more or less from two or three people, I would assume, or even more, but if you are in charge to be as a head of a department, I assume you uh, directly or indirectly, if you want it or not, you are in charge of every affairs, which can be, I mean, from time to time, you know, uh, even during the matches, some uh, bad situations may happen. And uh, even you may be in charge with the criminal law as well. So it depends, like it, 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 let's say it takes nearly every field of law, migration law, contractual law, civil law, even as I said, criminal law, like nearly every affairs which is possible. So in this sense, I would say that this experience is uh, very, very significant in terms of granting you quite wide perspective yeah. of how the industry operates generally let's uh, let's summarize it like that yeah so uh, uh talking a little bit more about this uh like we have here in iceland no club has in-house council but we are mm -hmm. we have uh, made the Euro, uh, the conference league for the first time uh, this year so we are playing european football so that's quite bad i think i wanted to mm -hmm. talk about bit about when it's gonna when do you think we will see it be more accepted that you can see always when um, for example sport law firms or clubs uh, etc want lawyers with uh, qualification for a bar in a certain country when will we see uh, this that this particular uh, what is a requirement will be out of the question because football and just sports law always goes through tribunals, uh, the FAs, and then through CAS, where you don't have to be appointed to some bar. Uh, when do you think uh, clubs and uh, law firms will accept this and try to take more cases to the tribunals and to uh, CAS? Because in Iceland, many of the uh, disputes between players and clubs just go to the national courts for some reason, and uh, they are not they are well equipped, but not as equipped as CAS and the tribunals. So, uh, it's very, very interesting question uh, from two perspectives. Yeah. The first perspective and the crucial one is the fact that you emphasized about participating uh, participation in the conference league, right? Yes. So, in this sense, right now we are touching the compliance with UFA regulations. Yeah. So in these terms, it has nothing to do with the domestic uh, regulations because, as you are clearly aware, the domestic dis uh, the competition disputes, let's say disciplinary proceedings or I don't know, challenging uh, some um, red cards, for instance, or other uh, affairs which derive uh, from uh, competition uh, phase. Let's say, for example, for example, the same. The same disqualification of matches in regards of the improper player registration or whatsoever, they are to be uh, appealed to CAS. And if I'm not mistaken, it's going to be 
through the channel of disciplinary proceedings and uh, you have 10 days at the end of the day to appeal to CAS after the decision of the appeal committee. So in this sense, I would say that from this particular field of law, this particular regula regulations, which are more or less uh, related to the compliance with UEFA legal framework, I would say it has nothing to do with any bar administration, uh, bar association of a lawyer. For example, uh, of course, maybe there are some countries, I don't know, where, for example, in bar associations, people are being taught or preparated for sports law, etc. I don't know, but as a general rule, we can assume that uh, in bar associations, people are being admitted if they pass the bar examination, which is more or less connected with the domestic law, right? Yeah. So in this sense, it has nothing to do, in my understanding, uh, of, uh, with the fact to be admitted to bar association, because at the end of the day, neither UEFA legal framework nor CAS code of sports-related arbitration require uh, 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 bar, administ uh, bar association accreditation for a lawyer to be entitled to represent a legal entity or a natural person. So in this sense, I don't think that there is no any, uh, that there is even a need to be accredited to a bar association. But if we are speaking about relations which are out of scope of UEFA legal framework, but happen during the competition, which let's say, which uh, I just, for example, brought up as an example about uh, hooliganism during the matches or, other violations which uh, directly or indirectly are being regulated by national law and from the public law perspective. Here, of course, I assume any club must refer to national law. And in this sense, I assume that, yeah, you need somebody who has a local bar association accreditation. So in this sense, that's why uh, just a couple of minutes ago, just a couple of minutes ago, I brought you, uh, you an example in regards to the legal departments, right? Where one, for example, a club has a lawyer who deals with the national disputes and the other one is dealing with the uh, international disputes. So in this sense, this is the touchline which we just discussed. For example, you may have an international sports lawyer in your country who is familiar with Iceland, uh, Icelandic domestic uh, legislation Yes. And obviously, if uh, the same lawyer has uh, experience with uh, international sports law or whatsoever, I'm sure that the chances to be able to care all these uh, relations is quite high rather than to have an in-house lawyer who is not familiar with uh, sports law and uh, entrust him, I don't know, uh, representation on the international level. Of course, I mean, I don't want to say that it's a general rule. Maybe there is a lawyer who is just a domestic lawyer and he is able to study all the jurisprudence at hand, all the legal framework in, whenever, in a very short time and is uh, capable to proper representation of the club's interests, mm -hmm. but better to hire a profiled lawyer in these cases, obviously, or to hire an in-house or to hire as an in-house lawyer a person who is uh, both accredited to bar association as an asset 
and has a law degree in international sports law is my opinion on this yeah. specific perspective on the competition participation exactly yeah and we have this uh, yeah it's a problem in iceland because uh, they almost take all the cases just before the national court but uh, because uh, in many contracts they don't even have uh, cas as jurisdiction which is very uh, bizarre i think because cas is the most capable uh, court to handle such matters so but are we speaking about uh, employment contracts or uh, yeah, what contracts yeah. yeah employment contracts with uh, sports personnel in iceland so are these contracts being uh, delivered by the league or how it is being organized by like is it the template of the league well, which the league grants to the clubs to work with or what the fa makes the contracts like a standard player contracts and then they uh -huh. get them and make the players sign them and these contracts are uh, very very shallow they don't take on much of uh, much of complex so when complex arise they usually just go to the national courts we had we had two cases uh, not long ago uh, very similar where uh, basketball teams didn't pay uh, the player salary and that went to national courts not to bat for example actually uh, we may have a little problem in the sense of uh, practicality and the quality of the disputes uh, you know from which sense i'm speaking about uh, you know this quite well about international dimension of disputes yes so for instance as i understood uh, this template is being even applicable for the foreign player right even yes. if there isn't so in this sense we are coming to uh, uh, FIFA Circular 1010 and the standards of um, uh, independent arbitration. Uh, are you speaking about independent arbitration or just directly national court? National court. So in this sense, I would I would assume that national court will definitely have a problem to enforce uh a decision on international level for instance let's assume international player uh, signs a contract with a uh, club from iceland mm -hmm. and let's assume there is a dispute between them in regards to the article 17 of fifa rstp right yeah so in this sense let's assume just for an example that the player uh breached the contract without just cause mm -hmm. and eventually or subsequently, the club applied to national court to find the breach unjustified and uh, to condemn the player to compensate the club with all the damages and, uh, acquired there too, or thereof. So in this sense, I don't even think that national court will be able to enforce international ban of the player. No, this happened in Iceland. Actually, exa almost exactly like you said, they tried to enforce uh, a transfer ban on a club in Iceland, yeah, but the national uh, courts just don't have jurisdiction to do so. That's what I'm speaking about. For yeah, example, exactly. the, the 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 national uh, court adopts a decision about uh, players' unlawful behavior of terminating the contract without just cause, and FIFA's regulations clearly say that. The player should be uh, banned for four months, from four to six months, right? Yeah. 
yeah. internationally. So I don't even, uh, I mean, I speak from the practical perspective. Okay, no about, not about the New York Convention, enforcement through the New York Convention. No, not this. Yeah, of course. Just, just imagine, just imagine from the practical perspective, how difficult it will be for example, let's assume this player then moved to, let's say, to Australia from Iceland. Now just assume from the practical perspective, how long will it take and how efficient and effective it will be to enforce the national court decision of Iceland on the grounds of the New York Convention in Australia? Just imagine this. I assume that even from the time-consuming perspective, even when the time comes that this court uh, in Australia will enforce this decision, maybe even, I don't know, two, three years will pass over the time. Yeah, so in this sense, in this sense, the enforcement of the decision will lose its value from the perspective of practicality of it. Yeah, exactly. I don't even speak about finding the new club uh, jointly and severally liable for the inducement. I'm not even touching this part. Mm -hmm. So that, that was the reason that FIFA eventually has come up with the idea of creating the alternative dispute resolution body, which is now called as football tribunal. Yeah. Previously, it was dispute resolution chamber and player status committee. Now everything is under one umbrella, football tribunal, right? Yeah. So I find this system very, very effective in the terms of uh, enforcement. Because at the end of the day, if you do not have an enforcement and you have only a decision, uh, then the question is how much is this decision attractive from you from the economical perspective? So, but as a club lawyer, you must think not only about the legal outcome, but also the economical outcome, right? Yeah. Okay. So you must have a decision which will benefit the club economically. Yes. So that's why the enforcement part, in my understanding, is a cornerstone in this, let's say, in the in the application of the FIFA's regulations. Not only FIFA's, but actually sports-related regulations in general. It can be basketball, it can be football, it can be ice hockey, whatsoever. The, the thing is that sports operates, uh, sports industry operates uh, re relatively super fast in, uh, compared to other industries. That's why even that was the reason that CAS was created in 1980s in order to ensure fast operations of the relations within the industry and fast solutions of the dispute. Yeah. So, yeah. So in this sense, I assume that it would be quite better for Icelandic Football Federation. First and foremost, to uh, set a national dispute resolution chamber, NDRC, which will be in full compliance with uh, FIFA RSTP Article 22 and, uh, and FIFA Circular. Yeah, we actually, Excuse me? we actually have that uh, a chamber here. Yeah. But was it, was it challenged or not? Uh, this was a, what I'm saying was a basketball. Uh... The first one was the basketball. Uh, this no, no, I'm speaking about football, football the, specifically. Yeah, the football one was, uh, I think it was challenged, and then they went to uh, Icelandic court with it, or they tried, uh, if I remember correctly. But uh, as I'm hearing from you, uh, 
and you, uh, I think you agree. I mean, uh, FIFA's uh, regulations and FIFA's sanctions lose their value if you use the national courts, basically. Uh, let me rephrase myself. Uh, while uh, when saying challenging, yeah. I mean, I mean, for instance, uh, just imagine a scenario where both parties apply to different courts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know. Yeah. One party applies for the national court. The other party applies to the national dispute resolution chamber established by Football Association of Iceland. Yes. And eventually, let's say uh, the NDRC decision is contradicting to the national court's decision. Mm -hmm. And one party appeals the national dispute, the NDRC decision to CAS and uh, claims the uh, invalidity of the NDRC's decision on the grounds that it doesn't co uh, comply with the FIFA Circular 1010, International Standard uh, Regulations for NDRC, yeah. and uh, FIFA RSTP Article 22. Yeah. And CAS eventually finds or does not uh, accept or rejects this kind of claim. Did you have this kind of scenario where CAS was uh, reviewing the compliance of NDRC with uh, Article no, I 22? Don't, no. No, I don't even know if any case from Iceland has gone to CAS, uh, not that I know of. So in this sense, Iceland decided to stick with the national jurisdiction, yes. despite despite the fact that it can have uh, it can literally have affairs with international uh, with international dimensions, mm -hmm. uh, specifically to foreign players, right? Yeah, this was a foreign player. Yeah. This was a foreign player. Uh, I think they're appealing now. It has gone all over. Uh, I talked to the lawyer and uh, said him about CAS, and he asked me about CAS and how to proceed with it, and uh, etc. So I think they're proceeding this to CAS as we speak, but I don't know quite sure. But that's the uh, right way to go. Um, CAS is not that, what do we say, accepted or so in Iceland. People just don't know about it, for example. They just use and that. But what about what about uh, forced arbitration, Bernstein case? You know, uh, what about uh, appealing to cast uh, the disciplinary proceedings? No, that is it not. also being is it also being challenged in national courts? No, no, no. Disciplinary proceedings go just through through the FA and stops there. And so then... eventually, eventually, if it stops at FA. And FA does, uh, but does the FA statutes include provision about recognition of CAS as a... Yes, in... I, yes, I believe so. They have that. They have the, uh, for example, the RSTP in Icelandic and yeah, they, they try. It's much better than it was. So uh, looking at it now, but what I, uh, what I don't understand is why they don't have a CAS... Uh, like a cast jurisdiction in the contracts of the players. Mm -hmm. That's because cast so, rejected because of that. So uh, the practice shows that there are three possible ways to uh, set uh, the jurisdiction clause in employment contracts. 
Okay. First one is um, I'm speaking right now about the international dimension because the national dimension one is crystal clear. There is an Icelandic club, there's an Icelandic player. Mm -hmm. They either go to National Dispute Resolution Chamber or they go to independent sports arbitration or they go to national courts. It's crystal clear. Yeah. But let's touch the uh, international dimension, which is rather more interesting. So in this sense, uh, I assume, as general, as general practice shows, there are three possible, uh, let's say, bifurcation points, uh, how it can go. First one is uh, stipulation of um, cast jurisdiction directly upon ordinary proceedings. This is the first one. The second one is uh, to stipulate FIFA Football Tribunal jurisdiction and uh, to set CAS as an appeal body. Mm -hmm. The third one is again to refer to national dim dimension in the sense of national uh, dispute resolution chamber or national court or uh, uh, independent sports arbitration. But uh, here is the thing that uh, in sense of uh, effective operation of RSTP, the third way must comply with FIFA Circular 1010, must comply with uh, FIFA's RSTP, uh, how it says, if I recall collect, uh, correctly, uh, duly constituted at in independent arbitration. So it should be duly constituted, and there are requirements for this constitution of this uh, independent arbitration center which are emphasized in Article 1010 again, and it should be independent. Again, the requirements are emphasized in Article 1010. Also, there is another regulation, let's say it's a guideline, but it, it, it's legally, it's a regulation uh, of, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's called International Standards of uh, FIFA International Standards for national dispute resolution chambers or similar. Maybe I'm wrong in one word or something. So uh, in order to have um, lawful proceedings in, on, uh, in national field on the international dimension disputes, mm -hmm. your national industry must comply with the standards. And uh, not only this, the clause of uh, arbitration, uh, the clause of jurisdiction must also be crystal clear, must not leave any room for ambiguity, and uh, the clause must uh, the, must not leave any room for a doubt uh, that parties specifically and explicitly refer to particularly this institution to settle the disputes. So, so the requirements are quite a little bit complicated. And as a general rule, if you do not stipulate any kind of jurisdiction clause and leave it blank, uh, I assume, and general uh, jurisprudence uh, also says so, FIFA Football Tribunal is entitled to hear the disputes if there is an international dimension. Yeah, we have that. Yeah, go on. But, but uh, I assume for better operations of the industry, Icelandic FA should um, make some kind of a dual uh, uh, possibility for the national uh, dimension cases and international dimension cases. For for instance, let's say player is an Icelandic player, then parties go to national courts. 
if the player is in, uh, foreigner, the parties decide for in favor of football tribunal. I would say this kind of method is the best, as most of the leagues operate like this, right? Yeah, so, we. I'm actually right now uh, reading the uh, jurisdiction of uh, uh, the jurisdiction of uh, arbitration in uh, the uh, uh, in the players' contracts with the, which the FA uh, makes, and they say uh, you can uh, go to a private. Uh, uh, Go to a private tribunal uh, if uh, if you want so. So then the uh, national court will uh, appoint uh, uh, arbitrator. But they also have uh, you can go to the uh, FA uh, or the appeals uh, tribunal of the FA or other uh, other like uh, how do we say it uh, other tribunals inside the uh, sports industry. I think you can maybe interpret that, that as cast. Yeah, but the problem here is the following, that imagine just, uh, for example, that uh, I represent a player and you represent a club. Yes. My player is a foreigner. Your club is an uh, Icelandic club. Yes. So eventually we have a dispute. So you apply for a local independent sports arbitration or whatsoever, a local one, and I as a counter uh, action simultaneously send a letter to your uh, sports arbitration center that I do not recognize uh, or I do not acknowledge the power of it to settle the dispute. And simultaneously I apply to FIFA Football Tribunal for settling the dispute and emphasize that I do not find the sports arbitration center in uh, complying FIFA Circular 1010 and other requirements which we have talked about. Mm -hmm. And uh, FIFA, uh, let's say, starts, uh, finds, the, finds the claim admissible and starts the proceedings. So we have a collision here. Yeah. That's, that's the problem that uh, if you ask me, I assume that any FA uh, should... I don't, I, I don't want to say recognize, but at least uh, if FA decides to delegate the jurisdiction to a local body, at least FA must collaborate with this arbitration center in regards to the requirements set by FIFA in order to be to avoid this kind of scenarios which I just described. Yeah. So FIFA uh, uh, would be able to understand. Uh, during the dispute that this sports arbitration established on a local level is duly duly constituted is duly is in in reality is independent and is in compliance with uh, all the requirements set by fifa so this is the most crucial point it's not about just creating an arbitration and say uh, okay we are able to settle your dispute no because the other party can eventually apply to FIFA and th this is the most important part and enforce the decision much more practically effectively rather than your sports uh, arbitration center yeah of course you got the point that's yeah. that's that's the that's the peculiarity here that's why FIFA's alternative dispute resolution body i find it much more effective than the local ones in this sense of course, we don't even have a clause that uh, brings up uh, players from foreign countries, so uh, that that's something that has to change. But uh, we got eight minutes left, I think, Ashut. Uh, so uh, I want to talk a little bit uh, from this, a little bit about the agents' regulations and your 
point of view on it. Uh, I want to ask you why did FIFA not suspend the whole regulations? Uh, why didn't they just cut it off? Why did they just suspend it until CAS makes a decision if everybody is unhappy about them? Why are FIFA not uh, cooperating with agents and clubs and players that don't want so to? So my opinion on this is the following. Uh, first things first, uh, as I was in the industry since 2015, Yes. I was I was from the era, let's say, where where when FIFA decided to uh, withdraw the former agents regulations and set it as uh, regulations on working with intermediaries. So within this uh, within these years, uh, I I think other club lawyers will also agree, or maybe not, but I assume so, that uh, eventually this change brought up a situation where many, many people started to act as agents without proper knowledge of uh, industry regulations, without any limitation on ethical uh, standards, which brought to a situation where eventually uh, the same players were damaged in the sense of uh, right, uh, in the sense of in the sense of representation of their own rights and uh, obligation uh, rights and um, commercial interests so in or employment interests so eventually i think that fifa at some point decided within the reforms of fifa 2.0 decided to bring back the regulations mm -hmm. in the sense to go not govern or control but at least to set some standards for for the industry to protect the rights of the stakeholders yes uh, which i totally agree with uh, because if you have if you do not prohibit something if you regulate something it clearly derives from the practice of good governance and uh, in in this case i assume that of course, uh, we understand that the regulations were quite restrictive in the sense of cap and other articles in regards um, to payment procedure. There uh, is a mandatory requirement to pay in uh, ports or something, or court in quartals or something. I, if I'm not mistaken, one payment in four months or three months. I don't recall by heart, but. In any sense, there are some limitations on this, uh, which uh, are quite challenging in the sense of competition law, and you are uh, you are familiar with this. But in any way, I assume that FIFA decided to, uh, let's say, it, to put uh, these regulations on the table for a test. And FIFA, I assume, they understand that these regulations would uh, affect to uh, to the interests of many people, which were acting out of, um, let's say, out of FIFA scope, and the aim was to bring them into into the industry and uh, bind them with the regulations of FIFA. But uh, the problem is that this should be, uh, let's say there should be a period for transition uh, for testing all these uh, restrictive requirements from the legal perspective in various jurisdictions, which we are eventually witnessing right now, right? Yeah. 
So eventually, I think, I think that the regulations will stay in force, but sooner or later, I assume we will, we may see some uh, amendments which will um, correspond to the requirements set forth by competition law in the sense of many jurisdictions, let's say like the golden middle, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, uh, but I find these regulations uh, quite uh, necessary in the sense to, first of all, register the agents. Second, to, uh, let's say, from not from the educational perspective only, but also from the ethical perspective, because right now agent is being bound by FIFA disciplinary uh, code, the same uh, uh, FFAR and other regulations. So right now, uh, nobody can do whatever the whatever he or she wants. You know, like they are bound by uh, rules and regulations, which is constructed in the interests of the stakeholders. If it's uh, regardless, if it's a player, if it's a club, so in this sense, I quite I find these regulations necessary, but also I understand this transitional period which these regulations are undergoing through right now, I and mean, the, I think I think this was inevitable in yeah, this I sense. Mean, I mean, uh, it's in our nature to uh, uh, be scared of changes and not like changes. It's in the human nature. So I think that's also a big part of it because these are huge changes and uh, and FIFA are pulling through on them and waiting now for a decision of CAS. But uh, now uh, the time is uh, uh, over. So uh, I want to thank you very much for coming on Sports Law Matters, Ashut. And uh, we, I will invite you again. You're uh, full of knowledge on the subject. Likewise, thank you very much for the invitation. I'm more than happy to be uh, your guest. And whenever you find uh, a topic which uh, for which I have experience or knowledge which I can share, I'm more than happy to contribute uh, in the program uh, you started. So it, it's a pleasure for me. Great, great to hear. And I think uh, the people will like that who are listening because, yeah, you know, uh, a lot about what you're talking about so uh until next time i should thank you yeah thank you have a nice day bye 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 bye